Hi everyone, welcome to the A Life of Education podcast. We're here obviously with Keith, myself and Zita Yarwood, who is a life coach. That's right. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, originally came to Dubai in 2007, so I've been here just over just over 10 years. Um, when I first came out here, I was stuck in a job that I hated, which was uh, recruitment. And in 2009, God, someone, the universe, basically gave me a kick up the butt that I needed to get out of this job and I was made redundant. And in that process of being made redundant, I got some real clarity around my values, what it is that I wanted out of my life. I got myself a coach and started to build a vision for what I wanted my my life and my career to look like. And I'd originally done my degree in psychology. So the human behavior space, the coaching space was a very, very natural area for me to move into. So to cut a very, very long story short... um, I basically started becoming a coach in 2011 and had to go back into full-time employment to build up a financial cushion before I could actually go into full-time coaching, which was 2014. And so basically since 2014, I've been coaching and that has been um, a variety of life coaching, career coaching and, and leadership coaching. So what does that mean? Essentially, all I do is I help people to really get clarity around what it is that they want to get out of their lives, what it is they want to get out of their careers, and the type of leader that they want to be. So we create a vision. And then what we do is we we do an objective assessment of, well, where are you now? What is stopping you from being where you want to be? There's obviously going to be obstacles and challenges, and we need to kind of identify those, remove them, and then we clear the pathway to get you from A to B. And that's, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last four years. Wow, sounds rewarding. Really, really rewarding. A huge change from recruitment. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Much more aligned to who I am as a person. Yeah, nice. What did you not like about recruiting? Why didn't you go back into recruiting? Oh, interesting. Um, So when I was in recruitment, this was, we're talking like 2006, 2007 when I was in London. So the working environment was very cutthroat it was incredibly sales driven so the reason I took recruitment is because I thought I was going to be helping people to get a job as well as get paid really nicely for it Mm -hmm. um but the thing is if you want to get paid really nicely for it you kind of have to be good at it and I really was not good at it at all because I was not sales driven I wasn't target driven I wasn't money driven either so um I was really, really struggling in this role where other people were really thriving. And the reason being is because the role, the job, the industry just didn't align to my values. My values of helping people and making a difference and and love and all of these other values. Recruitment, just for me, I found it too difficult to try and align my values to what it is that I was doing. So what advice would you have to somebody in recruitment who's not good at sales... (laughs) Who's Get out! <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 idea of happiness and fulfillment really is number one. Getting clear on what is important to me, and that that's your values, right? So, what are my key drivers? What are the things that really motivate me? The moment you get clarity around that, you can start to say, right. So, what are the careers out there that might align much more closely to that than recruitment? And also, you've got to take into consideration what are my strengths. You know, what am I naturally quite good at? What are the things that people say to me? Oh, you're so good at that. Oh, you know. So when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, people always used to say to me, you're a really good listener and you're really good at giving advice. And you're also really good at making me feel very comfortable. Those are just hints and clues that you kind of pick up along the way that can really tell Mm -hmm. you where you might be naturally a really good fit. Well, for fitness, it's interesting for fitness professionals, a lot of the time you see people migrating out of office jobs and Mm. into fitness careers. Mm. And they do that because there's no passion, there's no um, love left in what they do. And they've been really interested in fitness and interested in um, helping other people and things like that. And they migrate over to becoming a personal trainer, a Pilates teacher, a yoga teacher. So Mm. you see that transition a lot. Do you have any advice for people that are are on that path um well I mean again it's I I would probably say before you start doing something like that if you really want to make a business out of it you have to identify your skills gaps 
right? So um, what is it that you're bringing to the table already in terms of your know-how, your knowledge, your skills, your experience, and where are you not so strong? What are your skills gaps? And what is it that you need to do in order to fill those skills gaps? Is it get it qualified? Is it to get some experience? Then you also need to be looking at it from a financial perspective because if this is going to be your the way that you make a living, it's got to, you've got to be able to monetize it. So who's your target market? Who are your competitors in that market? I never say look at your competitors as a threat. Just look at what they're doing and maybe look at it from a, an inspiration point of view. You know, what do you really love about what it is that they're doing? Can you do something similar but put your own spin on it? Um, so it's all fair and well being really, really super passionate about it. But if you're actually going to make it become your source of income, you've got to be able to monetize it. So really, um, you've got to look at it from two angles. How do I get my passion um, out there into the world? And also, how do I monetize it? And that's those are the kind of two things that you've got to be looking at. Mm. So like getting qualifications is one of those facets depends on what what kind of industry that you're in and what it is that you want to be doing but generally speaking if you're going to be looking after someone's mind someone's health someone's Mm. body you absolutely want to get qualified yeah absolutely 100 a lot and this is why aloe's here really yeah i think as well on what you said about people who want to the the love has disappeared from what they're doing in their uh in their white collar job i also think it you've I see people coming in who have made mistakes. They've neglected their own health. Oh, 100%. They've neglected their... They've made mistakes. They've put something else... They've prioritized something else ahead of themselves. And now they're like, well, that's been the toxin in my life, so I'm getting rid of it. Mm. And now I need to work on myself. Like, I need to get fit. I need to get healthy. I need to change my my hormone balance. I need to do A, B, and C. So what better way to to do it than to teach myself, than to learn? And that's where, you, you know, there's... Just getting the qualification for the sake of having the piece of paper to turn to a, a, a potential employer and say, I'm good enough. And then there's getting the qualification so you know what you're supposed to know. And you know, like, firstly, the rules of the industry that you're going into, like the health industry, you need to do this, you need to do that. But also so that you can then, can, like, you can impart that knowledge on the people that you're trying to help. Um, so, yeah, definitely... The kind of the qualification but also just if there because yeah like you said there's different industries not every industry has an entry level qualification that you can go and do and, exactly. you, and yeah. i sort of think sometimes with some courses the entry bar into the fitness world is a bit too low mm. um for the complexity of the general public's health and then you have certain courses uh, that just yeah off you go there's your piece of paper there and, and go change the world yeah yeah because people pretty quickly realize um they can't help everybody mm-hmm. and i think ju- touching on what you said who's your target market if you go to ask any f- newly qualified instructor or fitness or pt they probably won't know because they're deep down their gut is telling them i just need to be paid Right. I just need money. My target market is anybody. It's fear, mm. right? Yeah. Like my target market is if I see a man and he's in his 40s and he's yeah. got knee pain, he's my target market. Yeah. If I have a girl and she wants to go in a bikini contest, she's my target market yeah, because yeah. I need to be paid. Yeah. I don't think people really spend the time to hone in on – like my, my, my background is rehab. Okay. And I – it wasn't like a pre-planned. I sat down and planned it all. Yeah. It's each step of the way – I just shifted more and more and more towards rehab and pain and helping people and doing injuries and whatever else. Mm. So now I know I know my corner of the market and I'm confident in it. And now I've just gone delved deep into learning more and more. Mm. But for people starting out, like, uh, how do you tell them? Firstly, because it's, it's it's easy to kind of hear. Okay, I need to I need to figure out my values. How do I do that? How do you figure out your values? You've got to sit down and you've got to ask yourself just what is most important to me. There are a lot of values exercises on the internet, actually. Um, And what I do with my clients is I literally give them a list of values. And I say, pick your top ten. What would would those words look like? So those words would be something along the lines of um, love, respect, health, fitness, um, leadership, creativity, design, innovation, um, friendship security, words like that. So when you're, I mean, again, the, the internet is a beautiful thing because you can literally just go and say values exercise. And it's the same, the exercises are all the same. It's just a list of these words. And 
my advice is don't use them as a specific um, exercise. Use them as inspiration and then sit down and ask yourself, like ask yourself in here, what is most important to me in here? And normally people will come up with around about seven to 10 things. Once you've got clarity on that. <coughs> so, so select a... Uh, select, yeah. So for, for, for the sake of this exercise, what would be your seven more common ones be? Oh, it's it's varies. Really, yeah. It really does vary. So my my top five: love, friends, family, making an impact, helping people. So those are my top five. So that just means that any decision that I'm making, I need to make sure that that decision is aligned to my values. Because if it's not, it's going to be a very painful process, and I'm probably going to end up regretting it later on down the line. So the the values exercise just helps you to get clarity around the decisions that you're going to make moving forward. Now, they, they are quite general, and some of them yeah. are quite vague. So when the, what you were just talking about there, about um, when you set up your business, it's really just about survival mode. Yeah. And that is normal for everybody. And I and I will say I was in exactly the same place when I set up my coaching business. I was literally coaching anyone and everyone. I think that's also experience as well. Because when you first start off, you're really hungry to get experience and to try yeah. and to, to see. Absolutely. And you kind of have to go a little bit into the deep end. Yeah. Uh, so exploring different clients and different people is, uh, is a yeah. nice way to be able to then yeah. go, okay, well, actually, I'm not interested yeah, in exactly. this. I'm interested yeah, in, you're spot, say, I think rehab. You're totally right. I got lucky in that sense because I worked in a I worked in a huge gym in Dublin that had I mean I had eighty treadmills. Let's just p- figure that out. eighty treadmills and two huge weight areas. So we got to see thousands of people over the course of a few years, and it was the rehab that that one that I kind of funneled down towards. Um, so sorry, continue then with the so you've you picked your seven values and then everything works from there. Are, are you? F- we were actually talking about cursing before the podcast. <laughs> But are you familiar with the book, The Subtle Art of Not, not Giving, giving a f- Yes. So I love that book. <laughs> so My that mother. book, that's a deceptive title about that book. Because that book means be careless and just tell everybody that you don't care. And, but and it's be not. Mean. But it's not. All. It's all about values. It's all about stripping away the non-essentials and focusing on your core values. But one of the things, this, the solid take home that I really took from that book was his advice is to not focus on things that are achievable at a point in time select your values around things that always require you to work on them mm. so you you chose working hard friends family uh love love, love making an impact and making an yeah. impact so yeah. on the family one for example he his suggestion is don't choose family because when you get a family then what you know you change change the language you'll use to doing the best for your family mm. so that you have to always always work on it it's not a thing where okay you want to you want to choose success as one of your values right once you get successful then what yeah that's the whole that's that's the biggest thing that i took out of that book speaking about values is like you need something that you can always come back to you can always work on so even if you even if you're working in professionalism like every step of the way you need to be professional 100 percent. so when i'm working with my clients the question i always get them to say is you've got to, you've got to have a key focus filter which is one question that you have in your mind and that question needs to be structured in a way that exactly what you were just saying it's not about right now i've achieved success now what it's always how can i achieve even more of this or how can i get even more of this into my life or how can i um, do more of this so for me, it's really about how can I experience even more of my family in my life? Mm. How can I experience even more love in my life? How can, what can I do that's even more loving than what I'm doing right now? So it's even more, even more. So it's, there's this never-ending, yeah. infinite... It's also development and progression, so it doesn't allow you to stagnate. Yeah. Yeah. Can, as an individual, keep growing and keep moving forward, yeah, which yeah. is important 100%. in every field. Otherwise, you yeah. feel like, ugh. Oh, like, it's stagnancy is the death, right? Yeah. Like you've got to keep moving forward, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah, and you can re- achieve, you can reach, you can become stagnant by reaching your value. Do you know by achieving the success? Yeah. I have, I have a, one client in particular who just through, through the gym. I, I don't, I do in small groups, so I don't tend to spend a lot of time at one-on-one people, like mm-hmm. as in an hour, just getting to know them. We we joke around, we we have chat, we have fun. But the one guy, uh, sort of, it kept coming up. You know, he is successful. He's got a nice car. He lives in Dubai. He's got a high 
he's got a high job mm. um he is looking for the like a his partner a soulmate kind of at the moment so he's in that world but he's just like i don't know what what's the next step? i'm still not happy yeah and he's like what do i do and it's far be it for me to tell him what he needs to do but i told him look i read this book in the past it worked for me maybe you should read the book as well mm. but he's a perfect type where he's achieved the the He's got what the he wanted. The markers of success. Yeah, that yeah. he yeah, that he was working towards, that he was focused on. So now he's stagnated. Mm. But it's like, okay, what do you do? And I think that's where people then decide, screw it, see you later, recruitment. Yeah, like career I've, change. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like the last five years, I was I wanted to work hard. Did it, did it, and I actually have worked hard. I've got to a point where, like, this isn't for me. Now I need to, cont- I want to work hard. I yeah. want to be a hard worker, and then I need to, pivot into something else um with your practice like what do you find is the most common issue that people are lost in or that people are stagnated feeling in? stuck it's this you know where i mean and generally speaking it tends to be stuck in terms of their careers so they've been in a job for the last five years ten years and they've realized it's just not fulfilling them in any kind of way shape or form and as a result of that they're just feeling this stuck and the stuck generally comes from money in the sense of I'm in a job that's paying me really, really well and allowing me to live a, l- a certain lifestyle. And I have a belief of if I change, I'm going to go back to zero money mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to start all over again. And I'm going to have to sacrifice my lifestyle and all of this kind of stuff. But also lack of clarity. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what it is that I really, really want. Um, and then also it's really about um, belief. Do, can I be- do I believe that I can achieve that? And most people just, they, they have all of these stories in their head that keep them stuck in their comfort zone. So, you know, we're talking about the amygdala and, and the fight or flight response mm. and all this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, the, the amygdala interprets the unknown as the scariest thing in the world. So it will do anything that it can to keep you in your comfort zone. You need money. You need this. You need this. You need this. Stay where you are. We're good yeah. here. Just so people know the amygdala. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Just in case. Do you want to explain <laughs> that a little bit? We love the nervous system. We well, talk about it You actually know. You probably know it way better than I do. So. I do. But on, from then. your perfect. No, don't put yeah, me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> Naughty. <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs of the, of the amygdala. So the, the limited the mm. limited knowledge that I have is it's just the part of the brain that is responsible for the fight, flight, or freeze response. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like your, your fear zone, right? Yeah. So um, the moment your amygdala perceives something outside of you as a threat, it starts firing off. And from a from a thought process, it starts firing off the thoughts that keep you safe, keep you keep you stuck. And, you know, when people come to me, it's like, I know I know that I'm not happy where I am, but I don't know where I want to go. I don't know what I can do. Um, I'm trapped by the golden handcuffs. And it's like, look, if you want to get out of this, you're going to have to break through your comfort zone. If you're willing to do that, I can help you. If you're not willing to do that, nothing is going to help you. It's so similar in the fitness industry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but that's exactly the same. Like, look, there's going to be days where you don't want to show up. And there's going to be days where you want to just stop. And I'm not going to be cracking the whip beside you. But if you don't want to do it, then there's nothing I can do. Yeah. You have to want to do it, but you have to be prepared for the really heavy negatives that come along with this because you have with been With change. It. With yeah. change. Yeah. 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 Getting out of your comfort zone is difficult, is scary. And it takes a lot of courage for someone to go and press the ejector button, mm. whether it's... I'm going to get out of this poor lifestyle and make the change. I'm going to move, you know, locations because I don't like the area or mm-hmm. I'm going to move my job. I'm going to quit. I'm going to cut off that lifeline because what's that Maslow hierarchy of needs? You're basically putting yourself back to the bottom level and then going again. Yeah, yeah. Super scary. So how do you coach people to go and do it? Well, the I mean, from a coaching perspective, it's okay. So let's have a look at the the uncertainty right so what are all the things that you're uncertain about and then out of all of those things that are uncertain where can you start to build some certainty so if you if you're uncertain around your direction let's start to build some certainty by doing some coaching around what are you passionate about what what is meaningful to you what is purposeful to you if you're uncertain about money it's like okay so what steps can you take to start to build some money so that when you do make a transition you've got a bit of a financial buffer 
um, I'm not sure if I'm qualified enough. Okay, so what are some of the qualifications you can do so that you start to feel a bit more certain in that area? So it's just about building the hope, which comes through building the certainty, but also getting clarity on where am I going? Um, And that where am I going has to be meaningful and has to be purposeful enough so that you are willing to break through the barriers of your comfort zone. If you don't want it enough, if it's not meaningful enough to you, if it's not purposeful enough to you, the moment you get to the edge of the, your comfort zone and you experience that precipice. Dis- mm. yeah. yeah. So that's the discomfort. So anything mm. outside of your comfort zone is uncomfortable. So that barrier is super, super uncomfortable. And if you're not willing to go through that barrier, you're just going to go straight back. And then you're going to convince yourself that this is the right thing to do. And for a while, you'll feel okay. Because, like, you know, this is the right thing to do. You saw the edge. You saw the edge. I don't want to go. Yeah, exactly. And then you get stuck again. So six months down the road, you just go and do a full circle. And this is people are just oscillating between motivation, demotivation, motivation, demotivation, motivation, demotivation. super common. Super Mm. common. Because they haven't got clarity on what's meaningful, what's purposeful, and they haven't built the hope. They haven't built the certainty. So they just stay stuck. And that's also quite demotivating for people oh yeah i've tried i've tried and i've I've tried three or four times to do this this is the time this is the moment i'm going to do it no it's not it's not i'm not doing it and then the fifth time that comes around it's like i've been here before and i'm still stuck so the more that you kind of stay there the the harder it is i have one client who works in an industry and i won't say what it's quite unique but everybody hates the job Mm. everybody in the office hates it it's toxic but she's like she has a twelve month plan. Mm. She's got two uh, courses that she's doing to move career, mm. and she's now currently uh, she's quit smoking a year ago. Brilliant. And now she's kind of doing the health thing, mm. but she also hates the job. But she's like, it's I'm so different to them in the office. I can see them. They're all grey. They're all like negative. They're all awful. They they complain, and I I understand. I see all the negative things, but she's like, it doesn't bother me because I know it's now. We started six weeks ago. She's like, now it's ten and a half months, and she, every month goes by. She's like, she's tell me a story. This person, this person, and yeah. uh, but I'm out in ten months. Yeah, and she is so happy. Yeah, like she's in the job. She's she's got her money coming in, but she knows she can't wait That's for those ten. Like months. a driving a, factor. Yeah, yeah. The job has like, a purpose. <gasps> yeah, mm. right. There's a purpose to it's it. It's now serving her. It's in, serving her instead of it her serving the job. Exactly. Um, and I, I I look at her and think you know to look at her walking down the street you wouldn't think this is where her mind is. Mm. Um, so she's awesome. I think she she's a she's a really good example of of what you're saying. She's doing. Yeah. I don't know whether she had life coaching. I can't actually remember if we had that conversation. But like, how did she get her inspiration? But I think she just had enough, and she just composed herself enough to go right. Let me look at the facts. This is what needs to happen. Mm. Um, well, it's amazing that she actually knew because it's like, do you do you guys remember when you were in high school and you go to the careers like <laughs> counselling and they're yeah. like, you need to pick your subjects <laughs> because you're you're gonna this is your career. You're gonna choose your career yeah. for and it's one career for life as yes. well, right? And it's like I'm 16. How am I, I going to do this? Know. Yeah. yeah, and you have no idea. Yeah, I think. I think this happens to people again somewhere in their mid like 30s oh, yeah. where they're like what yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been doing this career now for like 10 15 years this isn't right for me anymore I'm a different person mm. yeah. um, and then being able to find clarity so the world is like choose your subject hurry <laughs> up <laughs> it's really interesting what you just said there so you got to get clear on what do, what values have I been basing my decisions on to this date societal values my parents parental Mm. values or my values so the reason I got into recruitment is because when I got so I did my degree in in psychology I went to South Africa I did some volunteering work and when I came back I saw that all of my university friends and school friends were investment bankers and doctors and lawyers and I calculated I was going to be 35 before I was earning the same amount of money that they were earning at 25 and obviously my ego was just like I'm not having that. Like, mm. that's not, that, I can't do that. Um, and not only that, it was also like, well, what are they going to think of me going into the NHS and working in this NHS job? Because obviously in the, in the UK, the, the reputation of the public sector isn't as, you know, sort of prestigious or whatever as the, as the private sector. And so I convinced myself that I needed to get a proper job that paid really well in London based on what society and, and all of these sort of belief systems that we pick up along the way. And obviously, because I was basing my decision 
on those values, it ended up being a really, really bad decision. And this is why people come to me at the age of 35 is because in their 20s, it's salary, job title, how good does it look to others? Um, what are the career prospects? Am I going to go up the corporate ladder really, really quickly? And then they get to 35 and they're like, what have I been doing this for? Because now I've got the money, now I've got the car, now I've got the house and I'm still unhappy and I'm still demotivated and I'm still unfulfilled. And it's like, well, get clear on your values and start aligning your decisions towards your values, not what you think you should be doing, but what you want to be doing and make sure that your values are the right values. Because, you know, if your values are very much fear based, then again, you're going to start to make some pretty nonsensical decisions like i agree with you entirely how do people differentiate if this is a fear-based value or if it's really like this is my purpose so basically anything that's outside of you is going to be a fear-based value so for example i need recognition from others that's a fear-based value because all that means is until i get recognition from you i don't get to feel successful is that on your list recognition no these were negative values yes so the the idea is when someone when someone talks through their values, I will always ask them, tell me more about this value. Well, I need to be recognized from others. Then it's coaching around, how do you start to recognize yourself? Bring it inward, make it intrinsic so that you're not reliant on it outward. So it's not fear-based. You get it from within and you get your certainty from within. You get your um, your solidness. I don't know if that's, if that's a word, but you get it from within rather than relying on it from the outside. When you are relying on it from the outside, it's fear-based. It's like, I need you to tell me that I'm okay. I need you to tell me that I'm a good enough job. And if you don't get that, I'm going to be scared that I'm not doing a good enough job. But when you say for yourself, say to yourself, I know I'm doing a good enough job, then the fear, it's not fear-based. So, And then once they've realized that recognition is really much an internal process, quite often it will change from their value of recognition will change and they'll pick something else and they'll realize that they don't need that recognition anymore. So it becomes less important. So it's not on their list of values anymore. And then they have a value shift. So value shifts happen all the time. And that's through, that's through a process of self-discovery when you realize what is really, really important to you. And I have a lot of clients where their whole value system is based extrinsically. So what would some examples of that be? Um, recognition, um, financial security. I was going to say security must be a security, big one, like a fear-based. fear-based absolutely. Mm. So whether that's job security, financial security, I mean, there's a whole like safety, just physical safety, physical security. Um, you know, some people are super, super scared of the physical environment. And as a result of that, they choose to live in Dubai because the crime rate here is much lower than what they've experienced previously. Or, you know, people from Lebanon or South Africa, these countries where, you know, there is a lot of violence. And so their number one is physical security. So it's really being able to help them build that internally and then saying, okay, so now we've built it up internally. Is it as important to you as it was previously when we first met? And quite often, and most of the time, it's no, that's not important to me anymore. And then we get to start to look at other values, making a difference, helping people, all of this stuff that's intrinsically driven. Um, rather than the stuff that you're waiting for outside of you to make you feel motivated, to make you feel good. So, what would some? Ex- how would you? What would you expect somebody with health concerns mm. to tick off a list of extrinsic values? Does that question make sense? Do you know what I'm trying to ask? No, you? say it again. So yes. So how do you? Let's imagine somebody comes in and they're they're. They're living an unhealthy lifestyle. Yes. Physically, like nutritionally, no no sleep, too much work. Yeah. What kind of value markers would you be looking for them to avoid? To avoid? Um, well, f- first and foremost, what you've indicated to me there is that they are not prioritizing their health. So therefore, health is not a value. Because you prioritize the things that are important to you. Mm. And I think, sorry to interrupt you there, but I also think whether people like to acknowledge it or not, your lifestyle shows what you prioritize immediately. So if I'm neglecting my health and working 50 hours, my work is my priority. And that's that's evident in the evidence um, without having to actually... Like verbalize it. It's, yeah. it's just there. You can really clearly see. Yeah. So yeah, health is a big one. People, particularly as they get older, it's like work, family. I'm going to put myself last. last. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, if someone comes to me and they say, oh, health is my number one value and then they're overweight, they're smoking and everything else. And I'm like, I'm, you're BSing yourself. That is not your number one value. 
like your number one value right now is um, financial security. And as a result of that, that's making you decide to prioritize your work. And that work environment that you've created for yourself is super stressful. And so therefore you're now smoking and you're doing all of this other stuff. If you could just change one thing, one value that would allow you to move away from that, the health one has to be a priority. And that means living by that value. Every decision you make is, is this good for my health? Mm-hmm. And you, you know, and until they get into that mindset, their health will come last because they're always going to be p- p- putting other things above that. And normally when you're putting other things above your health, your health, you are probably in a position of fear, fear of not making enough money, fear of not doing a good enough job, fear of getting fired, fear of whatever that might be. That is driving your decision making process rather than what is good for me? Like if I made a decision in this moment right now, what would be good for me? Rather than what do I need to do so that I don't lose my job and I don't do this and I, it's all this fear stuff. And when you listen to people like Wayne Dyer and everything else, I love him. I know. Plus, I'm so I know. sad he died. Oh my god, I was traumatized. I know his book. Like man, I know. Uh, excuses right be gone. I read. Sorry to interrupt. I'm digressing. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm gonna. The, no, I've honestly, never heard of this. I, so, yeah, I didn't no, want to excuses, say that. Excuses be gone. He's like, he's an amazing, this American man, totally so deep and spiritual, used to live in Hawaii. He passed away a few years ago. But I remember listening to his audio book and he, he, he read his own book and it was live. And whoa, I got like chills. He was just so empowering and right. Like he was just right. He was right. Like, it, what was he saying? Basically, the whole book is about like you can what he he gives loads of examples and the way that he speaks it is just so powerful. But it's basically along the lines of you can think this thought like I'm never going to be this. I'm never going to be that. I can't do this and stay where you are. Or you can just go, well, I'm going to think, what about if I try? And just that shift in your mindset makes you see the world entirely differently and uh, the the way that he coaches people in the audience, he gets people just to talk about things and he just changes them and they just start crying and they're like, okay, well, all right, I'll try. Um, yeah, he has some amazing examples, but it's a powerful book. And Wayne Dyer. Yeah. Dr. Wayne Dyer, he's awesome. Like he's, and he's, he's got loads of videos on YouTube. He's so funny. I think one of the reasons why he was so successful is because He's natural. He's one. He's so natural, but two, but two. He just injects this lovable humor into everything that he does. So he lightens people up. He gets them to stop taking themselves so seriously and stop taking life so seriously. And when you do this, and this was the point that I was going to make earlier, is you're either making a decision based on fear or love. That's it. Love or fear. So, so am I loving myself in this moment? Am I loving? Am I being loving to those around me in this moment, or am I basing this decision on fear? And so Wayne Dyer, it's all about love, right? He's all about Mm. self-love, loving others. I mean, he talks a lot about spirit and some people resonate with that and some people don't. Um, But the core messages is really just about um, understanding that the moment you can move into a position of making your decisions based on love and not fear, your life will change before your eyes. Um, And so when we're talking about your values, um, it's really about where where did this value come from? Is it because my mother and father projected this onto me? Like my my value used to be financial security because my mother was very much about financial security. So I grew up with I you know um, I can't spend money. I have to always have savings. I have to always have. Do you think have... that that was her fear being like... Projected onto yeah. me. Oh, 100%. And you just like picked it up? Picked it up. Mm. We never had enough money. Yeah. And as a result of that, we couldn't spend money. And I picked that up. And so every decision that I was making was always about cost. Mm. Can I afford this? Not, is it good for me? And yeah, when you... Yeah. yeah. Is it good for me? Is it good for me? Is mm. this good for me? Yes, it is. Um, and then, but then you've got to you've got to clarify the difference between instant gratification and long term gratification. Mm. So, is this good for me? This chocolate cake is good yeah, for me because it's going to make me feel really good right now. Or is it good for me long term? No, it's not. Um, you know, buying like fifteen thousand dirham handbags, like is that good for me? Well, it's going to make me feel really good when I buy it. And then like six months, six months down the road when you're in debt. Oh, okay. You know, I don't feel so good. Yeah. You know, so it's really mm-hmm. about, is this really genuinely good for me and my soul? Or am I just chasing this dopamine fix 
from this thing and then the dopamine is going to die off and eventually I'm just going to go back to where I was anyway. I need to buy a more expensive handbag exactly. next time. So how do you coach somebody to make their values intrinsic? How do you coach somebody out of the fear? That is, though, that's a very unique process for every single person because um, you've got to understand what are they really scared of and then you keep coaching them and say, okay, so what would happen if that happened? What would happen if that happened? And then you like you you get them to a point where they realize that these fears are just these nonsensical worst case scenarios that generally speaking would never, ever, ever happen. So, for example, what are you really afraid of? Well, I'm really afraid of losing my job. Okay, so what would happen after that? What are you afraid of after that? Um, Well, I'm really scared that I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. Okay, so what are you really afraid of? What would happen after that? Okay, well, if I can't pay my rent, I'm going to be living on the streets. Okay, so if you're living on the streets, what are you afraid of? What would happen after that? Well, if I'm living on the streets, I'm going to die. And it's like... Okay, so if you lose your job, you're going to die. And then they realize that it's It's actually not not the case. I do that a lot with myself. I've been guilty of that in the past for sure. We we all do it. It's worst case scenario thinking. Yeah, but I get myself into that scenario. When I get to the end, I'm like, yeah, that's not so bad. It's all right. I'll do it anyway. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. That's exactly the mindset beneficial for me in some instances where I'm like, oh, I can't do this because... Yeah. And then I get to the end of it and I'm like, no, I can. What am I talking about? I'm stupid. We, We are lucky enough that we're living in a society whereby the chances of us being left to die, very, very slim. Yeah. Right? We are very lucky. And anyone who's watching this video right now, also probably very, very lucky that that would never, ever happen. So use that as your point of certainty. You've achieved a certain degree of financial success, whatever that is for you, up until that point. If it all went to shit, then you know that you can do it again. Yeah. Right? You've done it before. You can do it Mm. again. Um, And also... You have some security so that if, if, if you did end up losing your job, you've got either enough money or enough savings to sort yourself out, or you've got a, f- a family or friends who love you enough to help you through that period where you do get yourself back up on your feet. Yeah. Have you guys ever read Rich Man, Poor Man? No, but I... So it's with Donald Trump and Robert Tiyasaki. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, at the very beginning, he starts the book by explaining how many times he went bankrupt yeah. and he had nothing, nothing. like absolutely nothing. And you hear all these stories of these people going like to nothing, to worse than nothing, to being like so in debt and pulling themselves out of it. And you can see that the the end is not really the end. It's not the worst thing that's out there and people can come out of it. It comes to that anti-fragile theory. Oh, yeah. You wear that. Is it like the resilience? Yeah, like the... Nassim Nicholas Talab or uh, yeah. Nicholas Nassim Talab his name is some combo of that but he has a, he wrote a book that basically talks about how um, it's called anti-fragile but he, he created the term anti-fragile because okay. he, he starts the book with like right what's these, what is the opposite to fragile and he's like the language we use doesn't have a term to describe the opposite to fragile most mm-hmm. people will think the opposite to fragile is strong or robust mm-hmm. but if you take fragile being if you if you kind of if you, if you shake if you apply pressure to something, it breaks mm. with the smallest amount of pressure. Something that's robust or strong or sturdy, it just withstands a lot of pressure. the pressure, mm. but it doesn't get stronger. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't change it doesn't as improve. a result. Okay. So like, for example, if I was going to throw this glass, this is fragile. So if I drop it, it goes to the floor and yeah. it breaks. But if I do my phone, I throw my phone on the floor, the screen might crack. It stays the same structure. But it, it doesn't, doesn't get stronger. It doesn't, it doesn't get stronger. stronger. It doesn't adapt. There's no yeah, yeah, adaptive yeah, yeah. So the book yeah. that he writes energy. is about how t- t- he talks to him around uh, you get stronger. People, brain tissue, strength, like adversity makes people stronger. Growth, you don't come out the same. Development. You come out stronger. So by applying pressure, you learn. By by losing things, you you learn and you come back stronger. One hundred percent. And the book is the book kind of goes through that. One of the the simple examples he's got two brothers, two twin brothers. I think the example is they're in London. One works for a computer company IBM. You name it. He's in his job. He's safe. He's got his salary, well paid. He's got his family. He's got his holiday pay. He's got his medical insurance looked after. Um, he's climbing the, the ladder slowly and surely, and he's got his weekends off. He spends it with his family. Brilliant. His twin brother is a taxi driver. Okay. So his twin brother has to go out, work for himself. He's got to work late nights. He's got to work, uh, you know, he's got to, he's got to understand the market. He's got to go to this, play, this part of the city at, at weekends, that part of the city when the mm-hmm. event is on. 
he's got no security so if he's if he wants to take a day off he's not going to get paid yeah. if he if he gets sick he's got to pay for his own medical coverage mm. so when you look at that on paper who's better off and you kind of would say well your your mind would go to the guy who works for the computer company mm. but then let's say both of them lose everything straight away they just the industry changes or something changes and they both have to pick up and go again now you've got to look at us okay well now the taxi driver is a bit more advantageous position because he's used to working for himself yep. he's used to the hustle mm-hmm. he's used to the position of having to go out late at night he's mm-hmm. he's managing his life in a way where he's earning a money by himself on his own two feet he moves to another city he buys another car he learns the route off he goes he's mm-hmm. got the he's got the knack the computer guy he's got to go find somebody who values him enough to go so he can be paid by their company yeah. to build their company yeah. so the whole book is about that it's a brilliant book but it terms the phrase anti-fragile because Mm. it's through adversity you get stronger Um, I think a lot of people talk about like the the guys who go bankrupt a bunch of times they have the toolkit they know it's not the end of the world Mm. they've been here before but it's tough for the people who haven't hit rock bottom yep yeah, especially because it's it's the unknown. Like mm. you don't know if you can come out of that, yeah. um, and you don't know at what state and in what condition you're going to come out of that whole mm. like ordeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fear of failure. So there are three universal fears that we all have, right? So the fear of not being loved, the fear of being rejected, the fear of failure. So the fear of failure is it's really interesting because. It's the people who've never failed that fear it the most. Mm. So um, the people who have failed again and again and again, they realize actually, you know what? There wasn't a huge amount to be scared of. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but I didn't die. The world didn't end. People didn't laugh at me. Um, and it's the fear of failure that keeps people stuck. Yeah. You know, that's that's what... I, uh, sorry, I'm going to talk about my accident. <laughs> yeah, too, I, that's what I was thinking as well. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know what's really funny? I talk about this so much, but Keith used to uh, train me. So, obviously, we've spoken about this a lot. Yeah. But um, uh, I was going to say what what was really inspiring for me after I got... what I was in hospital um, and I was like, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to, like, move again. This yeah. is my life. Is I started following all these people on Instagram that were, uh, like in worse conditions so i followed this guy called aaron wheels oh bless him who's a paraplegic and he's basically so he used to be a, like a bike rider and used to do all those tricks and now he does it in a wheelchair it's wow. phenomenal and then amy purdy i don't know if i'm pronouncing her name right so she's a um a paralympian who has uh, both a double amputee so both of her legs yeah, below yeah. her knee are gone and she's a snowboarder and she's wow. one of the best in america Amazing. and you see all of these people and they've had these crazy things happen to them and they're just they come out so much more resilient yeah, yeah, yeah. um there's another a girl paloma she has one leg she has an artificial leg this is my instagram <laughs> just so you know secret insight um she's got one leg and she's just rocking the whole world like just uh, she's amazing. Inspirational. But, but, but it's inspiration, yeah. So you know, like, okay, this is the end yeah. and people come out of it and there's like paraplegic, yeah, bodybuilders, like yeah. upper bodybuilders that are, yeah. But I've been in conversations with you and other people when, we're, when you're telling them the story about your accident and what, like, majority of the time, oh, I could never do that. Mm. God, if that was me, I'd still be in a wheelchair. God, if that was me, I'd be drugged up on... You know, that's what people think. If if I had your accident, I would be at home, you know, watching TV, just sitting in the corner, hating the world. Whereas, as you reply back to them, you probably wouldn't. Like, you'd probably just make a decision. That life, or get off your ass and go, go do you it. You would be surprised. Really? Yeah. So, this victim mentality... The moment that they see themselves getting love and attention for their condition mm. on a subconscious level, they stay stuck because it's like, wow, I've never received this amount of love before. Well, do you know what's really interesting? That's something that I battle with. I used to battle a lot with mm. letting go of that, like letting go of not being that person. Yeah. Like I talk about it a lot. Like I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I talk about it loads. But um, yeah, it, it was 
challenging and interesting. Like I used to always call myself the disabled girl and Keith was like, stop calling yourself Don't that. Don't give yourself like, that you're label. Fine. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I have to call her the re-abled person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we had like a whole year where I was like, oh, I'm just the disabled girl. He's like, but you're not. not. Like you're fine. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like I've got a weird foot, but it's, it's good. It's mindset, right? Yeah, the massively. power of the mind is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So just going back to this value system, mm. once people figure out what their value system is – what next? What next? Like, so then you, you kind of got to do a skills inventory. You've got, to, you've got to be realistic. Like, am I equipped to do these things that are really, really important to me? So, I mean, helping people is quite generic, right? I mean, there are literally a million different ways that you could help people. So then you've got to start to do your research. Like, what are the potential careers or, um, you know, ways in which I can help people? And then you've got to just pick a couple with that you believe really do resonate with you Um remembering that until you actually try something you'll never know so it's always just a perception to begin with but the idea is do some research talk to people you're like that's that's the best way if you really want to figure out what it's like to do something as a career talk to someone who's doing it um and once you've identified what it is that you want to do then you have to look at your skills like am i actually equipped to do that right now um what am i again what am i bringing to the table what do i know i have and how do i get my skills up to a decent enough level that will allow me to transition into that and that might mean putting the dream on hold for two years while you go and get some experience or you get a qualification or whatever that might be but really i i always sort of people say to me you know i don't know what my life's purpose is and i i sort of my philosophy is, is that there is no such thing as a life purpose. It's going back to that. When you're 18, you have to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of mm. your life. I don't believe in that. I believe that you have a core purpose, which is something quite general, like helping people. And then you go through life. And the beauty of life is, is you get to experience loads of different ways in which you can express that value. So I know that there is a part of me that at some point wants to express either working in a charity or being the face of a charity, being an ambassador, not coaching. Now, when I'm going to experience that, I haven't planned it. I'm just kind of going to go with the flow and see as and when it happens. But I know that it's on my radar. And I think this is where people just got to say, okay, so these are the ways in which I've identified that I think I could really help people. And now I've just got to pick one. One that suits me as a person right now, one that suits my lifestyle right now, one where I genuinely think I could make a really big impact and then go for that. So now I've got an idea of what the dream is. Now I know what the goal is. Where am I now? What are the obstacles? What are the challenges? What are the skills gaps? What do I need in order for me to get to where I am? And what are the actions that I can start to take that will help me build what it is that I need so that I can make this transition from A to B? So I'm making it sound like a really simple process, but when someone comes to me and they literally have no idea what it is that they want to do, it can take anywhere between sort of six hours to eight hours to 10 hours worth of coaching to go through that self-discovery process, particularly people who have spent their whole entire lives waiting for the external environment to tell them what to do. So I'm going to base all of my decisions on what my parents say, on what my teachers say, on what society says, and then they get to 35 and they don't actually know how to make any decisions for themselves. They also don't know who they are or what they love or what they what they want because they haven't been listening to themselves because they've been listening to everyone outside of them. Um, so it's it, it for some people, it's a really simple process. They come to me and they're like, I know that my core value is this. I just don't know what I want to do with it. And then it's really a case of um, exploring all of the different ways in which they can express that value and, and, and everything else. So that's kind of, you know, from a coaching perspective, it's helping them to get clarity on their values, what they're good at, what they enjoy, and where do they want to go with that. Once we've got clarity on where they want to go with that, that's okay. So what are the things that we need to get you there? And what are the actions that you can start taking from today that will get you from A to B? That's that's it in a nutshell, really. Whoa. <laughs> okay. This is deep. Yeah. When do I sign up? <laughs> um, okay. So on a slightly different note. Yes. What's the wackiest value? The that wackiest value. Well, you just was like, what? That is a very different note. Tangent. Yeah. <laughs> What's the wackiest value that you've been at, confronted with? For better or for worse? I actually don't think I've ever experienced like a really, really, really wacky one. Um, there, are, there are ones where... I look at it and I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like, I would never have put that as my top value. 
but they're always then they're always within the list of values or they're always like a, a you know a typical value um but I, I i would love to be able to say something yeah. really wacky right now but unfortunately Do you know, i don't I, have it i did something quite interesting um so for for my work we had a uh like a career coach come in to help us sort out like everything within uh, the studio that I manage it was really interesting figuring we were discussing some drivers mm. uh, and autonomy is an interesting driver that I mm. didn't ever freedom think. independence yes. autonomy it's a big one yeah it is but I I was like what yeah. this is one of them yeah um I don't know I thought that that was strange just to but this is this goes back to what I was saying in the sense of oh I would never have put that as my top value mm. right but there are but I mean f- particularly for men freedom yeah. number one well, what's interesting, one of my top my top three, I can't remember the other two, but one of the one twos was challenge. Yeah. That, like I like things that are really challenging, challenging and under pressure I do a lot better right. um, sometimes. <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? That yeah, was yeah. quite strange. I was like, how is this a driver? Yeah. People normally go away from that, but anyway yeah everyone's individual yeah exactly exactly yeah. but i thought they were unique and different sorry i yeah. answered the question yeah. <laughs> kind no, of. No, that's, yeah but do you find do you, does it make sense yeah absolutely like yeah absolutely so what have you done to Uh-oh. exercise <laughs> those values this whole thing that you're doing right now surely yeah, like yeah. yeah this whole thing too yeah mm. hello very yeah. challenging, but very rewarding at the same yeah, time. Yeah, super right? rewarding. Yeah, that was the other one. Like, uh, things need to be meaningful for meaningful. me to be really like. I will dedicate all my time and energy if there's if I feel like I'm making an impact 100%. and if something's meaningful. Yeah. Um, it doesn't ever like like this right now. This doesn't feel like work whatsoever. Mm. Like, I feel like I'm just having a really good chat with good friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is nice. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And that's what they say when you when you are in a job where it doesn't feel like work then you've kind of you're following your passion you're yeah. following something that is really that is really good for you and meaningful mm. um when you're not in that space and then, then you need to start to assess what am i doing yeah absolutely i mean I, one of the things it's like a, it's like a blip <laughs> on my adversity radar but when i was 21 i went traveling around the world and quite naively just thought, yeah off i go and started the only job i could get the lazy way was the job in construction sites. Okay. So, you know, as in like, I knew a guy who had a job, got a phone call, got the job, showed up was on site. Was this in Australia? This is in Sydney. <laughs> okay. Showed up the next day, uh, right, ready to go. And it's like, right, see that wall, knock it down. And here's a jackhammer. And I was like, okay. And I'm going to pick this thing up. I was like, this is 80 kilos. Right. And I've got to knock this wall down. So through that whole six months, I had... We'll call it adversity, but it basically taught me the value of like a hard day's work. But it changed me like from the perspective of, I learned a lot about myself down there, down in Australia. and Down under. Yeah. (laughs) But um, coming out of that is growth. You know, coming out of that is right. I I never want to do that again. Mm. I never want to be in that position where I have to take that job because I hated it. Mm. Going to, this is my point, going to work every day, waking up, 4 a.m. because you'd be all the way across the city and this was this is where you had a map this was 2006 where like I had a paper map in my hands and I had a circle and the place where I was and I had to get off the bus at the street and I had to walk down the streets and oh, I uh, miss those days the mm. map yeah a, a paper map <laughs> I still have it I think I still have the map anyway I hated it I hated going to work the dread of like getting my little backpack, putting my safety boots on, my, my, my shorts, my t-shirt, and walking down the stairs of the yeah. apartment block. I was into the bus and waiting for the bus. I'll never go back to that. Yep. And I'll never complain about a hard day's work, but I'll never go back to that feeling of like, if I'm getting going, to, if I'm going to a place where I'm going to spend eight or nine hours, I want to, I don't want this feeling again. Yeah, yeah. So lucky for me, I experienced that in a temporary fantasy land of backpacking around the world mm. and i needed to do because i needed money i needed to travel i needed to fly home so i knew there was going to be an end date so i could tolerate it yeah but i can't imagine what that feeling is like for people who and i'm sure people people do that like for 10 15 yeah. years like you would know this oh, yeah. more yeah, um, yeah. people do that oh yeah 100 yeah. wow. percent. um and the worst thing is that they become numb to it 
is like this is they start living on autopilot and that's when it becomes quite dangerous because once you start numbing yourself out to these negative emotions you're also numbing yourself out to the positive ones and you just go coasting through life like this literally like a robot um i think most people come to me is exactly where you were in that in that level of pain like i'm in pain right now i do not want to be doing this anymore i need to get out of this pain and so you know people sometimes say to me oh so your people pay you to get out of their pain and I'm like yeah if you want to put it that way um and I mean I I had a very similar experience in the sense of so I was stuck in this job that I that I just found so mind-numbingly boring um um and it was the job that um I had before I moved into into coaching I loved the people that I was working with but I mean it was a PA office manager job and that was a job that I'd done in my early 20s right so um you know within six months of this job I was I was bored um and I remember when I started my coaching it was about six months in and I remember being on the phone to my business coach in tears just not being able to manage the stress of the financial uncertainty. And he said to me, Zita, if it's causing you this much stress, why don't you just go back and get a job? And all of a sudden there was this no, like this huge no inside of me. And then I just, I can't, I can't really explain, but this courage to face this adversity of not having the financial in- income and everything else, that came from a space of knowing that what I was doing was the right thing. Mm. And yes, I was going through a very difficult time and it was hard and it was challenging and all of this other stuff, but it was worth it. And I also knew that there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel as long as I kept focusing on delivering value, making an impact, helping people and focused on that rather than I need to make money, I need to make money, I need to make money. Because when you're in that mindset, that's when the fear kicks in. Um, So, you know, people generally are in that mindset of I've got to make money, I've got to make money, I've got to make money, I've got to make money. And as a result of that, that every decision that they're making, including the choice to stay in the job, is based on that. And until they start to think about what do I want differently for myself? What would my life look like differently? What would my emotional well-being look like differently? What would my physical well-being look like differently if I started to make decisions that were good for me and not bad for me based on, you know, fulfillment and love and motivation and, and inspiration rather than the fear of not having enough money? What do you say to people who, who do need to make money? You know, as in they have bills, they have school fees Mm. well how do you help them how do you well that's really about getting the reality of the situation um you know if they really need to make money um it it depends on where they're at like if they really really need to make money okay so that's the reality of the situation start putting a plan in place so that you can start to make money doing something that you love so it's not about just quitting and just going Mm. straight for this thing because i think that would be very irresponsible yeah Putting a well-considered, thought-out plan. I mean, I've got one client who um, he's quite, he's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's very cautious, let's put it that way. Um, And we were talking about this dream that he has, but he's got two kids that he wants to get through university. And he knows in his current job, he needs to be working in that job for at least another seven, eight, nine years before he can earn that amount of money. So he had a choice. He could either continue with what he's doing and we start to put a plan in place so that at the end of that seven, eight year period, he's good to go. Or he takes a risk and maybe brings that plan a little bit forward. And that was his choice. It's not up for me to make that decision for him. So he chose the seven, eight year plan. So we're now putting a plan in place so that when that time does come, he's ready to go and chase his dream without the fear of having to pay for university fees and all of this kind of stuff. So you've got to work within within the the the, um, the mindset of the individual. You want to push them a little bit out of their comfort zone, but not so much so that they are so stressed that it starts to physically affect yeah. them. Mm. I think that's a really valid point because, as you were saying before, everybody's different and you need to really help people find their own path and what feels good and natural for yeah. them and safe, but also that they're moving in the right direction. Yeah. They're really important points. How does a seven to eight year plan look like just without giving too much details away? It's it's, so it's very much okay. um, uh, Financial goals. So in order for me to take the risk of setting up my own business, how much money do I need to have in place? Now, I normally say you need really six to nine months of whatever lifestyle you want to lead. 
So that's your rent, that's your bills, that's your brunches if you're a brunch person, that's your holidays if you're a holiday person. You need to have that buffer right. ready. Yeah. So as long as you've got that, but nine then also, months. I would say nine months. I mean, some mm. people say six. Sure. Right, and then some people say twelve. Um, um, it just again, it depends on how risk averse you are, right? So um, once you've kind of worked out the financials, it's okay. So in order for me to um, in order for me to get to where I want to be, what am I deficient in already? Like skills, qualifications, network. Like if you've got seven years of networking under your belt, yeah. when you start that business, you are going to find business development and all of that kind of stuff really quick compared to what other people who don't have a network, who haven't invested that time in doing that. So it's really about in order for me to make the transition from what I'm doing now into what I want to do as quickly as possible, what are the steps I need to be putting in place right now? So a lot of it is going to be getting the right people, like not necessarily from a business development point of view, but also who could help me with marketing? Who could help me with finance? Who could help me with this? All of the things that I'm not good at. Yeah. Who can I start to network with that are going to fill in those gaps for me? Surrounding yourself with the right people, the people who can fill in those gaps is really, really, really critical if you because going it alone is stressful mm. you know when you are trying to do everything on your own and you don't have the support system and the network it can be really really stressful so building so you know building a network within that seven to eight year period can be a really good thing to do so that you don't feel so isolated you don't feel alone you, you've got that kind of team behind you um and you know so there's loads of things that you can be doing in the seven to eight year period and every time it's um you know, setting yourself new milestones, new goals, so that you're always working towards something within that seven to eight year period so that you're not just, okay, well, I've achieved that, now I can stop. Yeah. No, you've got to keep building it. You've got to keep nurturing yeah. it. You've got to keep going. Um, and I suppose, so yeah. Dan, after, that's the kind of thing where four, five, six years turns around, you're like, Do you know what? I've, I, could, I could I've been, stop I could right probably now. go now, yeah, or something happens. There's a 100%. shift in your market mm. and then it's like, 100%. now's the time. Yep. Um, it's interesting though, because you've made me look at it differently already from the point of view of people kind of think i need to go now or i need to go like in the next year yeah. like what a year i won't be ready in a year but all right put the brakes on a little bit this kind of stuff is possible in five six seven eight years mm -hmm. and again just start laying the laying the plan yeah, in place. i think the challenging part there is if you have a really really long because i think that's a long time like it's a long plan particularly if you're slowly dying inside uh from the nostalgia of it but to be able to have uh things that motivate you along the way yeah. um and things that also give you inspiration and growth and so like like you were saying before like people to get qualified into whatever it is that you want to do that can inspire you to hang on a little bit more while yeah. you're progressing through that oh, yeah. that path because wow eight year plan, eight year plan. Yeah. so you've got to have these milestones yeah, yeah. it does you sound like a lot it but, does. but i can I, I you how many people right now do you know that that would be like you could barely get them to do eight years yeah. like i don't know anyone that could withstand eight years of a, a job that they're and this is different if you're like cruising and content in your job mm. but if you're really unhappy and you're miserable Eight years. Or oh. if you've got yeah, two yeah, kids yeah. who are going to go to university, yeah. you know that's your goal. You're that's that's your that's yeah. your purpose. Your yeah, 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 yeah. It's not necessarily like I want to feel better and I want to like the people I sit at a desk with. It's like yeah. no, I've got two, yeah. two what ten year olds, I eleven think, year olds. Yeah, when you have uh, responsibilities like that, they yeah. really change change your life. Yeah. And I can d understand massively. Yeah. Um, yeah, people who when they have kids, their driving factor is you know making sure that their kids are safe and mm. yeah, which is understandable. When, when we're talking about values, this isn't a case of right now. I've identified my values and I've realised what I'm doing doesn't align to those values. So now I've got to completely change what I'm doing. The other option is how do I align what I'm currently doing to meet those values? So um, there's a really nice story of this um, this janitor who was cleaning um, um, at a school. And someone said to him, how do you motivate yourself to clean toilets every day? And he simply said, because I know that when I clean these toilets and I, I am providing a self-hathy environment for these children so they can spend their childhoods playing and enjoying being a kid rather than being sick in hospital. So he aligned. He didn't he didn't say, right, I need to suddenly um, go and change my job and not do not not become not be a janitor anymore. Change his perspective. He changed his perspective. Yeah. How yeah. do I align everything? And for a lot of people, and this is I think I've seen it in certain cultures, 
making it about family, making it about the people that you love. It doesn't matter what job you do. You find it fulfilling because you know it has a greater purpose outside of you. Um, I think there are certain cultures and maybe Western, the Western world is one of them where we have this social media thing of we must be happy and we must be super positive all the time. And, you know, we, you know, it creates this. Well, if I if I don't like what I'm doing, I've got to change what I'm doing. Well, maybe that's not actually the best solution in that moment. Maybe the best solution is to look for ways in which you can align what it is that you're doing to your values, start from there and then make a shift. Because just quitting your job when you've got no money, that's not a sensible decision, Mm. right? So you're going to go from hating your job to suddenly hating not having any money. And hating yourself for making that decision. And you know, especially like when, when we were talking before about being in your teens, like when you're in your teens, you've got your parents. So it's easy that they're supporting you along the way. But when you're in your mid thirties and you you need a change, you really have to come up with a good plan as to how to create that because you have phone bills, car bills, house bills, rent, like all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other factors. So it needs to be a really considerated, it does. Right word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, what what was I going to say there? I think um, again, this the, the the planning. Now we've created this sort of eight year plan for this other guy, right? But I've already said to him, this is we can never plan because we have zero control. Yeah, right. We are not in control, and 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 when we the moment we think we're in control, it's an illusion. So you've got to be really aware of you could lose your job tomorrow. And if you lose your job tomorrow, this whole plan is going to change, Mm. right? So you can plan as much as you think you can, but you've also got to be super aware of the fact that that plan could change in a minute. And having that freedom and flexibility is really, really key so that you can go with whatever the world Mm -hmm. is throwing at you as opposed to, right, I've got to stick with the plan, I've got to stick with the plan, I've got to stick with the plan. Because the moment you've got that mindset and something changes, it's super stressful. And then you go into this really unresourceful mindset, right? That's it. I'm just going to go and get a job or right. That's it. I'm going to da da da. And you lose sight of what it is that you want. So, so planning is key. A hundred percent having the flexibility to, to recognize that you have no control. So just have a plan, but just don't be a slave to the, to the stepping stones mm. because those stepping stones might shift. Just be, be, um, be aware of where it is you want to go focus on that and then the way in which you get there just have the flexibility to to go with the flow that's awesome i was going to ask you how would you summarize what we've spoken about but it sounds like (laughs) you've just done a pretty good job of it where can people get a hold of you where can they find you online your website yeah so yeah so social media my my particular thing is linkedin so um like I do all of my social media on LinkedIn because that's pretty much where my, my target audience are and that's where I can add the most value to people is the careers, the you know, the career people, et cetera, the people who are interested in personal development. They tend to a lot of them tend to be on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, you can just Zeta Yarwood onto onto LinkedIn and you'll find me there. And in terms of Z E T A Y A R W O O D and then my website is literally just my name dot com, so zetayarwood.com. Awesome. Perfect. Well, this has been really enjoyable. Thanks for coming. Yeah, to speak so to us. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. Really good fun. Thank, Thank you, you so much. See you again soon. Cheers, guys. Bye, guys.